Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, uh, an austere religious scholar who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of fake news. Now, if you wonder why I say austere religious scholar when I come on, uh, you can Google it. I'll explain it sometime. I don't have time to today. I want to tell everyone, first of all, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and it's probably my favorite Mother's Day ever, um, which is actually this Sunday. You might be listening before or after that, but it'll probably be my favorite Mother's Day ever. Not that Mother's Day is even for me, but I'm going to be having a very good time this Mother's Day because I've had a very good week. This week, as we celebrate motherhood, we've received a huge indication in the news, courtesy of Politico, that an evil, despicable law regarding a mother's rights is about to be rescinded. The Supreme Court is set, if things hold steady, it's set to repeal Roe versus Wade in the near future. You see, mothers in this country have a right that nobody else does. The right to kill a person with no consequences. The right to kill your own child. This is a right that should not exist. By giving this right to mothers, it denies a right to unborn people, the right to life, one of the most basic rights that's a foundation of our country, the foundation on which all the other rights are based. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. And it takes that right away from the smallest and most vulnerable people among us every day that we have Roe versus Wade enshrined in our national law. But the Supreme Court is set to strike that down. For the past 50 years, almost 50 years, the law of the United States of America has pretended that there's a right to abortion in the Constitution, just kind of tucked away there in the right of privacy, that somehow the, the right to privacy has been reinterpreted as the right to kill your own child. A woman can visit a doctor where the doctor will reach inside a woman's body with a pair of forceps and rip a living human being apart one piece at a time. And they call it the right to privacy. For 49 years, much of society has pretended that this right existed. For more than 49 years, abortion supporters, they've told the rest of us that, that we're on the wrong side of history. But I think this year is going to show the opposite, that it's the pro-abortion side who's on the wrong side of history. Someday we will look back at this genocide taking place in the womb with the same horror that we look today at the Holocaust or slavery or any other historical atrocity. Our grandchildren are going to ask us, how could people have ever supported such a thing? And no answer can justify it. There's no justifiable answer to that question. At least I'll be able to say that I didn't, that I was on the right side of history. So let's talk about being right today. <laughs> I want to discuss how to talk about this abortion question, but I want to talk about asking the right questions about this whole issue. You've, you've doubtless heard it in the news this week about the Supreme Court being set to overturn Roe versus Wade. This was an earthquake that dropped on like Monday or Tuesday of this week that somebody inside the Supreme Court, probably one of the liberal justices or one of the liberal clerks, has illegally leaked this draft of a Supreme Court opinion that's going to be that was set to be released in June. And the Supreme Court opinion was going to rescind Roe versus Wade as well as a 1990s case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It was set to rescind that 
and and throw it out because there's no actual constitutional right to abortion in the Constitution itself. It's something totally invented, totally made up, something that should never have been decided in the first place. Now, everyone recognizes this is not going to, on that day, outlaw abortion in this country. We all recognize that. What it's going to do is put that question back to a state's rights issue. That's how the Constitution is supposed to work. It lays out what all the states are supposed to do. And then it allows the individual states themselves to have the freedom to decide what their own laws are going to be beyond that. There's some laws, there's some rights that are enshrined in our Constitution that all 50 states must follow. It's not It's not open to debate. It's not open to... <laughs> um, you know, Maine can't decide if they like the First Amendment or not. Texas can't decide if it likes the Second Amendment or not. No, they all have to take all the amendments of the Constitution because that's what it means to be part of one of the United States of America. The Constitution is what binds us all together and tells us what the rules are for everybody. But beyond that, on the more, uh, on the smaller issues, on the on the secondary issues, everything else is just open to whatever a state wants to do. And this would put abortion back into that sphere, that it would become a state's rights issue. That means the evil of abortion is still going to exist in many states, probably most states. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that what's going to happen in the near future with the Supreme Court, that doesn't mean that it's an insignificant issue, especially for the pro-life movement. This is a significant progress for them because nothing could really happen on a legal level with the pro-life movement until Roe versus Wade was out of the way. Frankly, I had doubts sometimes if it would ever, even in my whole lifetime, ever be rescinded. And yet here we are today. It's an answer to, to 49 years of prayer for many people. Not me, because I'm not that old, but <laughs> for many people have been hoping and praying for decades, for literally decades, for maybe most of us listening, and for me, for our entire life, this terrible law based on nothing, based on complete fallacies this terrible law might finally be struck down. So most of the conversation we've seen ever since this news came out, Politico got the leaked document and they they shared it. And um, I'm not blaming Politico, but obviously some clerk or somebody at the Supreme Court, you know, leaked this and they're investigating to find out who it was and prosecute that person, I hope. Much of the conversation since then has been about the morality of abortion. Now, the morality of abortion is not the question SCOTUS is dealing with, the, the Supreme Court. What the Supreme Court is asking is, is this constitutional? So a lot of the conversation we've seen this week about abortion does not actually deal with the question that the Supreme Court is analyzing. Their job is to look at everything and say, is this constitutional? Is this in line with the Constitution? Or is this something that is just a states' rights issue? Is this something that goes against the Constitution? That's what the Supreme Court is there to decide. That's not the national conversation we've been having this past week. And it's probably not, you know, no matter what happens, the, the national conversation, the, the discussions people have, is probably not going to revolve around what the actual issue being decided is. Is abortion in the Constitution? Which, as I've already said, it's not. And about 50 years ago, they wanted to pretend that it was. But it's literally not. And all that's happening now is the Supreme Court is fixing a mistake that was made a long time ago. A mistake that's led to 62 million people being murdered in the 50 years since. So a lot of the conversation about this is going to be about the morality of abortion. 
I just want to point out, we need to ask the right questions. Okay. So the, the question that the Supreme Court is dealing with is, is this constitutional? And Democrats are in a tough spot with this one because <laughs> they're not willing to have the constitutional argument because it's not there. So they really can't defend abortion on legal grounds, as in they can't defend that this is a federal issue, that this is a constitutional issue that applies to all 50 states. They have a really tough time making that argument. So they're not even trying. That is what the actual issue is about when the Supreme Court ruling comes out. That is what it's going to revolve around. That's not the conversation Democrats want to have about this. They want to go with the emotional pleas. They're going to talk about women being raped and how single moms are so miserable And so they should just have the right to kill their children. They're going to do things like scream at the sky, which just makes me more powerful, by the way. (laughs) There is something about listening to Democrats scream into the sky that it it just kind of charges my batteries. I don't know. So they're going to result to the emotional stuff. They're going to result to some of the most ridiculous arguments like like Eric Swalwell, one of the representatives. He's in the House of Representatives, and he tweeted out this week. The Republicans won't stop with banning abortion. They want to ban interracial marriage. He, he actually thinks this, or I don't think he really thinks it. I think he's just trying to stir people up <laughs> because this is not a very strong issue for the Democrats. He says they want to ban interracial marriage. Do you want to save that? Well, then you should probably vote. <laughs> I think Eric Swalwell is just worried He's not going to be able to marry his next Chinese girlfriend. He's the one who had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy and was caught a couple years ago. And he's still to this day on one of the like the foreign uh, intelligence committees or like national security committees over in the House of Representatives, even though he was having a relationship with a Chinese spy, literally. And he's married, but, you know, that doesn't doesn't really matter in Washington, D.C. So. He's trying to claim that the Republicans next, what what they're after is banning interracial marriage. That that's what the Supreme Court is going to do next. (laughs) That they're out of control. (laughs) Clarence Thomas, one of the Supreme Court justices, is in an interracial marriage. Amy Coney Barrett has adopted black children. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think, I don't think that that's on their, on their docket. Um, He's just trying to scare people. He's just trying to stir up fear and anger Um, because all they have is the emotion. That's all they have. They cannot defend abortion on legal grounds. So they're not going to try to make the legal argument. They're going to try to make these silly arguments. And all these things are just distractions. They don't want to get into the real real question. Is abortion in the Constitution? So let's make sure as we talk about this that we're talking about the right thing, that we're asking the right questions, because the media is not going to do that for you, okay? The media is not going to ask the right questions. They're not going to deal with the, the truth of like what the, what the actual issue is being discussed here, they're going to go with all the emotional stuff. It's kind of like, um, you know, just on like a side note, uh, when Trump is being investigated and you see all these headlines from CNN about how Trump, he's not wanting to turn over documents related to the prosecution. And there's the, you know, if you don't listen to the liberal media, you don't see this. For me, because I've, I've tried to so that I can do this podcast, um, like I'll have a, the CNN app on my phone and it tells me their headlines of what they say is news. And constantly, I mean, almost every day, there's another headline about the investigations into Donald Trump's finances. And Donald Trump has got to be the most, (laughs) he's never been found guilty, but he's got to be one of the most investigated, by far the most investigated politician in American history. 
constant investigations of people trying to catch him in some kind of crime. My perspective on that is, you know, I voted for him in 2020. My perspective on all that is, if he committed a crime, he should he should do the time. He should what or, or pay whatever the consequences are. Pay a fine. If he did something wrong, if he did something illegal, punish him for it. I don't care. Okay, I like the guy. I like a lot of stuff he did. But if he did something illegal, I have no problem with them finding it. I just haven't seen any evidence that he did something illegal. So, I mean, when he was impeached all those times, they didn't even allege that he committed a crime. As a reminder, impeachment is supposed to be about high crimes and misdemeanors. High crimes and misdemeanors. That's the purpose of impeachment. Then they impeached him and they alleged no high crimes or even misdemeanors. So, you know, he's like the most investigated politician in American history and they've still turned up nothing and they throw their little hissy fits and they get cranky about it. And if you have the CNN app to this day, they will tell you, oh, Donald Trump, you know, he's 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 embroiled in these legal battles over in New York. I, I think like he resides in New York or has property in New York. So they're like some attorney general was elected in New York on the basis of that she's going to find the dirt on Donald Trump. And she's been digging and digging for the past couple of years and has turned up nothing. And so, but you keep seeing these headlines on CNN about how, um, oh, he's trying to cover it up. You know, they're trying to get to his personal information. He's trying to cover it up. Uh, and are they going to find all the dirt? I'm sure if there was any dirt, they would have found it by now. But he has been fighting back against, uh, he's, you know, he's been saying they've been asking for documents that they really don't need, that they don't have any right to, because it's just a fishing expedition by the Democrats. So he's been making that case. Um, and, and all of these left-wing conspiracy theories are just not panning out. For a lot of people, if they like Trump, then they just, you know, say, oh, there's nothing there. I know, and I guess that's what people accuse me of saying. But they'll say, oh, there's nothing there. The Democrats are just making stuff up. And then... If you don't like Trump, all these people are like convinced that he's guilty of some, you know, vague crime. They have some kind of conspiracy theory and and all they want. They just keep talking about when are he's on the run. The walls are closing in. He's freaking out because he knows he's guilty. He knows he's about to get caught. He's getting ready to go to jail. You know, they they have all the <laughs> they say all these things like they already know that he's guilty when really all it comes down to is whether they like Trump or not. So like I have one of my. One of my uh, friends on social media the other day, he's talking about he just can't wait until the New York people in, conclude this investigation and they're finally going to catch Trump and all this stuff. And they better not turn up nothing. That's what it, that's what he was saying. Like they, they better not do all this work and then not find any dirt on him. Now, just think about that for a second. There's people who actually want it to be true that our president is involved in some kind of criminal conspiracy. Like they want that to be true about a former president. That's when someone hates Trump more than they love America is when they want him to be found guilty of something. Even though they don't know what it is, they just want him to be found guilty of something. They hate Trump more than they love America. Okay? So don't don't trust the motives of people who say things like that. That they like they want a former president to be found guilty of something. That's not good for the country, guys. If a former president is involved in you know, I don't know what the conspiracy theory of the day is, but if they get found, you know, if, if you find out that your president is colluding with Russia to steal elections, that's a bad thing. OK, you don't get excited about that. 
and and celebrate that a president was colluding with a foreign country to destroy our democracy, that's bad. If you want that to be true, that's because you hate Trump more than you love America. What you if you love America, you don't want something like that to be true. So these questions about like Trump's investigations, they always, this is what they come down to. Do you like Trump or not? Now, if you like Trump, it's like you, you just assume that he's innocent. And if you don't like Trump, you just assume that he's guilty. No one's asking the proper questions about this. CNN's not asking the proper question. The, the question is on these investigations, are Donald Trump's civil rights being violated? That is the claim he's making in court. Nobody is doing an analysis of whether that's true. CNN, Fox News, they are not doing that analysis. ABC, NBC, they are not doing those analysis. That is the question. Are Donald Trump's civil rights being violated when they investigate him? And he says, you don't have a right to these documents. And he fights back in court. The question is, do they have a right to those documents? Or are they trying to violate his civil rights? And here's where the here's where the right to privacy actually comes in, guys. <laughs> are they asking for documents that they really don't need because they're just doing a fishing expedition? You know, so which is it? That's the question that, that should be analyzed. That's the question if we had an honest media that they would be reporting on. Are his civil rights being violated? So nobody wants to ask the right questions. And let's go back to the Supreme Court thing. The question about Roe versus Wade is whether it's constitutional. But that's the question nobody is, is talking about this week. Uh, but that is what the Supreme Court's job is to decide. It's not whether they like abortion or not. If the question is about whether they like abortion, who knows where it'd turn out on, on, you know, on the votes? I don't know. But that's not what's being decided. The question is, is it a constitutional right? And if it's not, it's a state's issue. So let's make sure as we as we look at this that we ask the right questions. So let's let's talk about it now in the terms of what the left wants to talk about, though. Let's talk about the morality of abortion. Because I'm perfectly willing to have that argument. Like, I'm fine with that. I'm not afraid of that argument. I, you know, I was not a topic I enjoy discussing, but I would be happy to hash that out with somebody. The morality of abortion. So let's look at some of the claims that they use to justify abortion and let's discuss them one by one. Uh, we'll start here with Whoopi Goldberg's freak out on The View. Let me just play this clip of her talking on The View earlier this week uh, when they found out about the that Roe versus Wade would probably be overturned. I will tell you, this is my body and nobody, you, you know, you got people telling me I got to wear a mask or don't wear a mask or do this. Everybody wants to tell me what to do, but you won't let me make my decision about my body. Okay, I'm sorry to cut it off so quick, but... I just have to go back to that for a second. She's talking about how this is her body. And, you know, you got people, as she says, I got people telling me I got to wear a mask or don't wear a mask or do this. That's what she just said. Did she forget that it was her side trying to tell everyone to wear a mask? <laughs> you know, it's like she's so flustered right here. She's she's actually making the argument against forced masking, which is something that she was in favor of just a few months ago. <laughs> But now when it comes to abortion, she's like, no one should tell me what to do with my body. No one should tell me to wear a mask if I don't want to. Uh, it's like she's totally flipped <laughs> in, in a few months time. So, OK, let's let's go on with the clip, though. I'm going to restart it. Let's listen to it again. I just had to comment right there that she totally in making the argument 
I guess, in favor of abortion. She totally jettisoned the argument that, she, that they were making about masks just recently. But let, let's start the clip over and listen again. I will tell you, this is my body. And nobody, you, you know, you got people telling me I got to wear a mask or don't wear a mask or do this. Everybody wants to tell me what to do, but you won't let me make my decision about my body. You are not the person to make that decision. My doctor and myself and my child, that's who makes the decision. And one of the things I really want to point out before we go is the reason. So she named three people involved with the decision of to have an abortion, basically. When she says what to do with my body, she's referring to having an abortion, what she'd call her freedom to have an abortion. She said it's between three people, right? You just heard her say that. She said it's between my doctor, myself, and my child. My doctor, myself, and my child. Now, it, first of all, it, she is going to be involved with the decision if it's her body. Second of all, as far as a doctor goes, it's not a doctor's decision. A doctor can decide not to do it. But if you want to have it done and your doctor says they don't want to do it, you can just go to another doctor. That You, you can go to someone who you've never even met before. If they're licensed, if they're legally you know, able to do that kind of medical procedure, they can just do it. So it's not really the doctor's decision. They're just in it for the money. But there's a third person that she listed right there who... She says, has a choice here. She said, my doctor, myself, and my child, that's who makes the decision. Absolutely false. The child doesn't get a decision. That's why abortion shouldn't be legal. Because there's a person inside there who is going to be killed if you go through with the abortion, and they don't get a vote. They have, they have less of an impact on the decision than the doctor. The child gets zero decision. Now, the, I, I like that the show is called The View, you know, and not The Views, because there's never more than one view presented on the program. There's no one on the show who's going to challenge Whoopi on that, who's going to ask, wait a minute, wait a minute, what do you mean the child gets a decision in this? None of those women on there are going to stop and, and, and question her about that <laughs> and try to hash that little statement out that she made. They're not going to do that. Because it's just the view, okay? It's accurately titled. They just have one view that's going to be presented there. And there's no one there to challenge it or pick it apart. That's why we have to do that here. No one's ever going to ask Whoopi Goldberg, what did you mean by the child gets to make the decision? Because there's no answer to that. The child just gets killed. That's all that happens. So later in the show, the ladies of The View, they announced that they're going on a sex strike. That they are not going to have sex with anybody if abortion gets overturned. Like, this is how they're going to put pressure on on men, I guess, <laughs> that, that they are not going to have sex with them, basically. That is the, the threat. That is the warning that they're putting out right now. So the next thing that they say, the next thing that they say is that abortion is necessary because of cases of rape and incest, okay? They'll say, you see people go to this all the time when you say, well, I don't think abortion should be legal. They immediately fire back. What about women who get raped? What about rape and incest? So here, this is what I always respond with. I said, okay, you know what? I recognize that someone who's been raped and now finds themselves pregnant. I realize that, that is a, that's a tragic, horrible, traumatic experience to have to go through. Like, I, I, can, I can sympathize with that. But let's, let's talk about the statistics for a second. 
those account for less than 1% of all the abortions that happen. Less than 1% of them are because of rape and incest. So here's what I say to someone when they bring that up, okay? I recognize that's a terrible, terrible thing that happens to someone. But that that is less than 1%, statistically speaking. Less than 1% of abortions. So let's just set that aside. Now, personally, I, you know, I, I could have that conversation about what happens and, you know, what should abortion be allowed in rape and incest cases? I'm willing to have that conversation, but I want to talk about the 99% first, okay? Because this is what the left will do. They want to make the emotional argument and focus there on the 1%. And they want to say, we need to make 100% of abortions legal because of something that happens 1% of the time. I'm willing to have a conversation about that 1%, but I say to the person, let's set aside, because that is such a rarity, because it's less than 1%. Let's set that aside. Let's talk about the 99% first. Now, I've had people just be like, oh yeah, well, you know, 99% of the time abortion shouldn't be legal. Well, guess what? If, if they say that, <laughs> you've just 99% won the argument. Good job. <laughs> Even if you can't convince them on the rape thing, you know what? Congratulations, you've just made a strong case for outlawing abortion. That 99% of the time, it shouldn't happen, okay? But it maybe they, but it, but we can't just let the whole conversation be controlled by the 1%, okay? So have that conversation about the 99% of the time. Because guess what? Even if you said you wanted to make an exception for rape and incest, they still want the abortion legal, you know, the Democrat side. They tend to want the abortion legal still for the other 99% of reasons. So I'd say focus your attention there. Don't get drawn into just focusing on the rape and incest thing. Okay. Now after that, okay, after that, let's let's talk about some other arguments they made. And I'm going to pull real arguments from my own hometown, my where I live in Missouri. They had a, an abortion protest. Now, this was late last year, but um, I saw the news story about an abortion protest going on here in my hometown. And uh, I live in a town of about 50,000 people. So I, it's a generally a conservative area, but in 50,000 people, you're going to have a lot of people there who are pro-abortion. So anyway, they showed up and they were holding signs. And let me just let me just read you what some of these signs said, okay? I'm just going to read from the signs and we'll just kind of talk about these arguments as we go through them. So uh, one of them said, and just if I could describe the sign, I don't, pro-abortion people, a lot of the people who want to go out and protest in favor of abortion, they are, they can be some, <laughs> they make some kind of disturbing and scary looking signs. Okay. So they have like this white sign, blue lettering, and then there's like blood splatter on the sign. This is what they're putting up in favor of abortion. So the letters say, separation of church and state includes abortion. All right. That's what the sign says. It's white sign, blue lettering, blood splatter, for whatever reason, on the sign. It says separation of church and state includes abortion. Ironically, they gathered in front of a church <laughs> to do their protest. <laughs> you know, it, it's just where they happen to... There's like one spot in town where all the protests happen, and there happens to be a church right there on the corner too. So anyway, there's like a church in the background of the picture here. But So their claim is separation of church and state includes abortion. Now, maybe you're wondering, what's the argument there? That's actually what I would want to know, too. Like, that, what's the what's the argument that they are making? I, here's what I think they're making. I think they're trying to make the case that 
the only reason to oppose abortion is based on religious reasons, based on what your church would say. So they're saying, well, we can't do church and state. You can't enshrine your religious beliefs into law and enforce, impose them on everyone else, force everyone else to live by your religion. So I think that's the gist of what the sign is saying. So here's what I'd respond with to that. Uh, you don't have to be religious to be pro-life. Okay, all you have to do to be pro-life is to be anti-killing babies. Now, it's true a lot of religious people are also pro-life, especially when we're talking about Christianity. A lot of Christians are pro-life, but there's there's groups called secular pro-life. There's groups, um, there's Democrats for life. I mean, there's, so you, you don't have to be like a religious organization to be pro-life. As I said, you just have to be anti-killing babies because that's what it means to be pro-life. Okay, here's the second thing I'd say in response to that sign. The phrase separation of church and state, that's not in the Constitution anyway. Like that th that phrase, and I, I think a lot of people are surprised to hear this. The phrase separation of church and state, there's no legal documents in America that say separation of church and state. That's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not in any of those things. It comes from a letter that one of the founding fathers wrote to another hundreds of years ago. And those letters can be useful for understanding what the founding fathers intended for this country. So, I mean, it's not like it's it's unimportant. In the I can't remember which one of the founding fathers wrote it, if it was Thomas Jefferson or whoever, but he was talking about how um, the government should not try to inhibit what the churches are doing. And he called it separation of church and state. So anyway, that, you know, it, it's actually talking about doing something the opposite of what a lot of people say today when they want to talk about separation of church and state. But the point remains that it's not something legally enforced in this country anyway. What that means is, even if my religious beliefs do inform my abortion position, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, my religious beliefs as a Christian, they inform all of my positions on everything. Well, maybe not literally everything. I mean, you know, there's disagreements people have on taxes and stuff like that. That's more, you know, tax code stuff. That's more based on math and common sense. And and that's not necessarily a Christian thing. But I mean, for a lot of the positions I hold, the, the morals that guide me, they are rooted in my agreement or belief in the Bible. For example, murder. I think murder is wrong. I don't need to come up with some complica complicated philosophical argument for how humans have value and we need to contribute to human flourishing. And so therefore murder is immoral. I don't need to do that. The Bible tells me murder is immoral. So my religion, does that mean that I, you know, I, and I'm not talking about abortion specifically, I'm talking about murder in general right here, okay? Does that mean since my position on murder is rooted in my religious belief, that therefore that my position that murder is wrong is, um, that I can't hold that view, <laughs> that I shouldn't want that to be enshrined in law? Does that mean that I couldn't apply that to the legal code where I would like to outlaw murder because it's based on a religious belief? You know, that's ludicrous. So um, just because your position is rooted in something religious doesn't mean that you can't vote that way. You know, there's actually nothing wrong with that. And they can talk about separation of church and state all they want. It has no bearing on that question. Because everything I believe, all my morals, they're rooted, in, they're rooted in some kind of religious belief. Okay, and third, I know I'm still on the first sign here. But third, you know, it talks there about separation of, separation of church and state. 
I hear virtually nobody making a religious case to ban abortion. Now, if you did, if you wanted to make a religious case to ban abortion, like I said, I think that's legitimate. But that's actually a thing that pro-life people almost never do. Because we know when we're talking to baby killers, <laughs> we know that a religious argument, the Bible says, that's not going to get anywhere anyway. If you're pro-baby killing, you obviously don't care what God has to say about it. So we don't use a religious argument. We actually, pro-life people, almost always go with a scientific argument. That's really fun to do because science is on our side. <laughs> science is settled on this one. Life begins at conception. So when we talk about what they call the fetus, I mean, nothing wrong with saying the word fetus, but it's still a human. He or she is still a human. A fetus is a person. They're just an unborn person. They are alive. Life begins at conception. So they can go all they want about, well, the Bible says this, or, or you shouldn't use the Bible. to, You know, they can say that all they want. I don't think pro-life people usually start there. When I hear them talk, when I talk about abortion, I start with the scientific argument because that's just as strong to me. Okay, um, there's an, here's, let's go on to the next sign. I spent a lot of time on that first sign. The second sign, I don't want to spend much time on it because it, it's the most disturbing of all the signs. It's just a black picture with a white hanger dripping in blood. So we got the blood again. Like I said, these, these pro-abortion protesters, they, they like to use a lot of blood. Um, a coat hanger dripping in blood, and it says, never again. Now, this is referring to the practice of pregnant women sticking a wire coat hanger into their body and killing their child that way, killing their unborn child in, th in that way. Um, and so this sign is, I guess, threatening that if abortion were outlawed, that... These people are talking about if abortion is outlawed, I'm going to stab myself with a coat hanger and kill my child. Like that's that's their threat that they're making. So don't do that, okay? If you're listening, don't ever do that. But when they say never again, okay, then don't. <laughs> Case closed. Problem solved. Don't do it again. If you don't want to have a baby, don't don't go and have sex, okay? Or use contraception, but understand there's a risk that those things don't work 100% of the time. If you have sex, the, the natural consequence, the scientific consequence of that or outcome, logical outcome, there's a chance that you'll get pregnant. That's where babies come from. We have this talk from our parents when we're like eight or nine or, or whenever they did it with you. But you know what? Something that we learn at a young age, this is where babies come from. It's not the stork. It's not Santa Claus or whatever you might have heard growing up. Okay, this is so we learn this at a young age before we're having sexual relations. As you get older, you should get married. And then th that's where babies come from. And if you don't want to stick a coat hanger in your body to kill a child, don't, you know, if, if that's what it would come to for you, then don't be having sex in the first place. Let's go on to the next sign. Uh, there's a. It's a white sign with a pink ribbon. It says, no uterus, no opinion. Okay, so this is this is another one of the easily debunkable. It's one of the most common arguments that people who promote abortion that they want to have. They want to say, well, if you're not a, a female, then you shouldn't 
have the conversation about abortion, that men should be excluded from the, the conversation about abortion. So they say, well, if you're not a female, you shouldn't even be talking anyway. No uterus, no opinion. Well, let me point out a few rebuttals here to this. One, this argument is, you know, it's only said about pro-life people. If you're a, if you're a male who's pro-choice, they're just fine with you sharing your opinion. They never say this. You know, if you're a guy who walks up, he's like, well, I think women should have the right to choose. They're like, well, you know, amen, brother, more power to you. They don't say no uterus, no opinion then. So if you're pro-choice, they're fine with you saying whatever you want, regardless of what your gender is. But if you're pro-life and happen to be male, they say, well, no uterus, no opinion. I mean, it's it's not a principle they actually live by. <laughs> they don't apply it even-handed. And, you know, frankly, um, I, what I'd also say, why can't I have an opinion on child murder just because I'm male? You know, if I'm not allowed to have an opinion on that, that would make them sexist. But this is going to be a question that's rooted in philosophical premises. It is a question of morality. So it is a philosophical argument that you're making, which means it doesn't matter the gender of the person speaking it. Okay, what matters is what are the premises that this argument is based on? Are those premises true? Do they logically fit together? That is how you have a philosophical discussion about morality. Doesn't matter what's, you know, what your chromosomes are, what's your whether you're male or female, that's a side issue actually to this question of a, what's a moral issue, okay? And that's not an argument that the left can support. Democrats cannot support this <laughs> this position that it's okay to kill a child in your womb. There's no consistent ethic in that. So it's it's a very hard case to make. It's impossible to make, actually. So they don't want to have to defend it. They would just like to tell half the population, you're not allowed to tell me what to do. You know, they, so they don't even want to have the argument. It's just a way to shut you up. It's a way to shut you down. It's a way for them to avoid having to make a philosophical argument when they say no uterus, no opinion. And by the way, I'll point out one more thing. Just a few months ago, they were running headlines, the media, the Democrats, they're going around saying that men can get pregnant. They're talking about pregnant men. Just a few months ago, they were. I, there's a magazine talking about how um, uh, d doing profile stories on, on men who are pregnant. They're actually females who try to say that they're men. They're not men. But it'll show this, like, you know, woman who's taken all kinds of hormone injections and is growing a beard and has had her um, her breast cut off, and she'll be, you know, sitting there shirtless with a with a pregnant belly. Now, it's still a female, regardless of what she's, the horrible things she's done to her body. She's still a female. But they will put her on the front of a magazine and talk about how it's a pregnant male. The the Apple or, or the whoever makes the cell phones, okay? They just put out the new emoji packs, and the emojis have a pregnant man inside of it. What, what They're trying to say now that it's a women's rights issue, that only women can talk about this. What happened to the argument that men can get pregnant? You know, Katanji Brown-Jackson, she was asked when she was on the being questioned about going on to the Supreme Court. They asked her, what is a woman? Can you define what a woman is? And she says, well, I'm not a biologist. Well, suddenly this week, everyone is an, is an expert on biology. Everyone's a biologist because everyone's talking about how this is a woman's rights issue, that they say this is about a woman's right to choose. Well, it is. It is an issue that only pertains to women. But I'm going to say it's a woman's right to lose. This is a right that they should lose because no one should have the right to murder your child. So if you want to make 
a pro-life argument that I'm going to say it's just unstoppable. Okay, so someone who's pro-choice, pro-abortion, they can't, they cannot destroy this argument. And it's in one sentence. It's like eight words. Okay, I, I didn't count how many words, but it's like it's a short little sentence. Memorize this sentence. Okay, here it is. It's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. I think that's nine words. <laughs> it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. That is one sentence that cannot be stopped, okay? Now, here's the brilliance of that sentence. If you ask anybody that question, they will agree with it. No one is going to disagree with that sentence. You make the statement, it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. Nobody is going to argue with that. They can't. Everyone agrees with that. 100% of the population would agree that it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. But then you would take that sentence and you apply it to abortion. Okay? Well, suddenly people start trying to pick it apart and saying, oh, well, there's exceptions here. Okay? But they already agreed with the sentence. Okay? And they can't, <laughs> they can't disagree with the sentence. We all acknowledge and we recognize it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. If you disagree with that sentence, then you open the door for every genocide and atrocity in human history to be morally acceptable if you want to disagree with that sentence. So it's a brilliant sentence. But once you try to apply it to abortion, they start trying to pick it apart. So first they might want to debate about the word kill right there. Say, well, if you if you terminate a pregnancy, if you end a pregnancy, is that really killing something? Yes, it is. Okay? That is what it means to kill something, is to end something's life. Whether you're talking about killing a person or killing a flea, if you end its life, that is killing it. And a, a fetus, a, an unborn person, is a life. They're alive. They have a life. He or she has a life. He or she is a he or she. Okay? Whatever they are, they have DNA. They have chromosomes that determine everything about them. So they are human life. And if you end that life, you are killing it. By definition, that is what it means to kill. So some people try to quibble over whether it's really killing. When you say it's wrong to kill an innocent human life and try to apply that to abortion. Is it really killing? Yes, it is. Okay? Sometimes they might try to quibble about the word innocent. Okay? What do they mean innocent? Well, and, and they'll say um, uh, that a fetus is a parasite or something like that, which is an unscientific argument. You know, I, I'm happy to have the conversation in the realm of, of science. Uh, and there is a definition of parasite and it's a fetus doesn't doesn't qualify for that. Um, but they'll say, well, a fetus is not, is not innocent because, you know, I don't want it there or it's using my body to live or something like that. But a fetus has not done something that makes them guilty, morally guilty of anything, especially not anything deserving death. Okay. The fetus exists because you brought it into the world. You know, if you're a female, if you had sexual relations and we're not talking about the 1% of the times where there's rape and incest, we're talking about the 99% of the time. Then you voluntarily chose to do something that results in the creation of a human life. So this little baby that's not born yet, but still a baby, has not done anything that makes them guilty of death, deserving of death in a moral sense. They have not done something wrong. They're there because you put them there. You created them. 
Even if you say, I don't want them there, they're not innocent to me because I don't want them there. Morally, they are innocent. You can't blame them for anything. So therefore, you can't kill them. Even if you don't want somebody somewhere, okay? If you don't want someone in a place, that doesn't mean you have a right to kill them. Next, um, it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. Why is that word individual important? Okay, because they'll also say, well, the, the fetus is not a person. They're a part of me. Well, that's technically, that's unscientific. Okay, the baby has his or her own, own set of chromosomes, his or her own unique DNA. The baby is a him or her. You might be a female, you know, obviously, if you're carrying a child, you're a female. So you might be a woman, a female, carrying a male child. Why? Because they are not part of you. They are their own person. Okay? The child's not part of the mother. They have their own individual body. That's why it's important to use that word individual. It's not just an extra word. You got to have it in there. Okay? Because if it is a part of you, well, you can just, you know, <laughs> do like the transgenders do and, and, and cut parts of your body off yourself. Sure, I guess you could do that. I, actually, I still have a problem with that, but that's, you know, that's a whole different argument. Well, guess what? An unborn person, they have their own body. They have their own blood coursing through their veins. They have their own heart beating their, pumping their own blood, um, their own body that doesn't belong to you, even though it's a part of you. Okay, next, this word human. When you say it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life, sometimes people will say, well, a fetus is not human. <laughs> when they say that, I, I got a simple question for him. What species is it then? Because human is a species. So if they're saying that an unborn person is not human, what species are they? Okay, that's what we're talking about here. We're doing the scientific argument. So human being, that's a species, homo sapien. If an unborn child is not a human being, then what are they? And then finally, life. Scientifically, biologically, the child in the womb is alive. So to end his or her life, that would be to kill him or her. Because then the organism, the fetus, the baby, they would die. So it, you just use that sentence. It's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. If they want to argue with any part of that sentence, you can dissect it with them all you want. But it stands strong, okay? If you, if you want... If they want to defend abortion, what they have to do is they have to they have to go after the word wrong. They have to say, well, I think it's okay to kill an innocent individual human life. I think it's morally permissible to kill an innocent individual human life. I think it's good to kill an innocent individual human life. They have to change that word wrong. And if you do that, their whole system of morals has been thrown out the window. You can't, you can't have a moral system if you think it's okay, morally permissible, to kill innocent individual human lives. You're, you're no better than a barbarian. And frankly, that's what I'd say about people who are, are in favor of abortion. Now, hey, I'm not saying everyone out there who votes for Democrat, who thinks abortion should be legal in some or all cases, I'm not saying that they can't have a moral system that guides their life and that, that therefore they're just a barbarian if they voted pro-choice or something in the past. I'm not saying that. I think most people who are pro-choice haven't really thought through the issue all the way. I don't think they've thought through it like this. I don't think they've decided, where, where do I think life begins? Or where do I think a, a human becomes a person? They just don't, they don't think about those questions. The Democrats don't want them thinking about those questions. So they don't have that conversation. But that's the only question that matters. 
And whenever we're talking about when someone's life begins, when a person becomes a person, that's the only question that matters when we talk about abortion. That's the question that matters. They, they want to use all these euphemisms. You know, they want to use all these other words to, to not talk about what they're actually doing. They, they want to call it a reproductive rights issue. But if a child is present in the womb, reproduction has already occurred. So now it's an issue of the right for life. So let's make sure we're talking about the right things, that we're making the right arguments, asking the right questions, because our news media is not going to do that. That's why you and I have to think these things through. If we're talking about the SCOTUS decision, the Supreme Court decision here, that question centers around whether it's constitutional. If we're going to talk about the morality of abortion, well, I mean, you can you can do that a few different ways. You can dismantle the the pro choice the pro choice arguments. They are so flimsy. They are so frankly um, ridiculous. That's you know, it's almost fun to do that. It's easy to do. You can tangle them up and not so easy. I've never heard a pro choice argument that couldn't be dismantled with just a couple questions. So you can do it that way if you want. Tear down someone's foundation. Not hard to do. I've never heard a pro-choice argument that made any logical sense. So you can do that if you want, or you can just make a pro-life argument. All you have to do is memorize these nine words. It's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. It's wrong to kill an innocent individual human life. It's a statement that all people everywhere will agree with. You just need to ask the right questions. Well, um, in case you haven't heard, Jen Psaki is leaving the White House, and I want to say this about her. I've never gone on here and, like, complained about her. She gets a lot of flack. Conservatives just hate her. Like, Republicans hate her guts. Um, I'm just going to point out, I've never really hated on her. I think she literally has the hardest job in America, okay? She has to go on TV every day and pretend that President Joe Biden is doing a good job. So that's got to be, you know, they say being president's the hardest job in America. Well, I'd say she has an even harder job because she has to do, she has to take all the crap that the president is doing and then go out and spin it and make it look good. That's her job. This has caused Republicans to hate her guts because she lies all the time. I just want to point out here when she's, even when she's lying, she's just doing her job. Okay. You can call her a liar. She does lie, but I'm just saying that's her job. That's what she was hired to do was to go out and spin things, and lie about things, okay? If you care what a White House press secretary says, that's kind of on you. Like, nobody should care what a White House press secretary says. (laughs) They are never going to be a source of truth and facts, okay? Everybody knows it's their job to go out there every day and lie for the president and spin things and be, be a spin doctor, basically. If you ever lost any sleep, over a lie that the White House press secretary told. I'm just going to say that's kind of on you. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't be getting so emotional about that anyway cuz they're not they're not an actual source of information. Okay? You can disregard anything that a White House press secretary says does not matter whatsoever. So anyway, she's she's tired of doing that. These White House press secretaries they never last very long. I think Trump through went went through what four or five of them. He went through a, a ton. Um if, if they're on your side, you tend to like them. If they're not on your side, you don't. So I don't think we should be throwing fits about 
something the White House press secretary says. The new one is named, I'm, I'm probably not saying her name right. Um, I think we'll hear it here in a minute. <laughs> but I'm not, I don't, I can't remember. It's Karen or Corrine. It looks, it looks, I don't, I want to say Karen, but it might be Corrine. Corrine Jean-Pierre. Okay, so let me tell you about this, this new one though. He's, President Biden really maxed out his bingo card on this one. So she is black, female, and gay. All right. So she's just checking all the boxes for them. I, I think th the media is fawning over how she's this historic choice. You know, this is what we have to do now. Every time Joe Biden appoints someone is talk about how historic it is. Uh, and I guess we're just going to keep doing that. They, they wouldn't. Trump did that, too. First president to ever win the presidency with like a female um, campaign manager. And, you know, he appointed people who are minorities to all kinds of positions. Uh, like having the gay ambassador and national security advisor, all that, you know, it, the media wants to act like it's always historic when a Democrat does it. It really doesn't matter. I mean, it, it has no bearing on the job, but the media is fawning over how she's this historic choice. Cause that's just, that's what we do now. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm offended. We haven't had a non-binary pansexual mermaid be a press secretary yet, but I guess that we still have a ways to go. So anyway, I don't really have any opinion on her. I'm sure she won't be any good uh, because when the the president picks, you know, appoints someone to a position based on their skin color and their gender, we've seen how that's turned out before. Okay, that's how we got stuck with Kamala Harris for vice president, noted non-biologist Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Okay, they're unqualified jokes. Throwing gayness into the mix is not going to make it better. But here, here is what I would like to point out when Jim Pisaki was introducing her at one of the press briefings this week. L listen to this. This is actually kind of hilarious. First, as you all know, she will be the first black woman, uh, the first out LGBTQ plus person to serve in this role, uh, which is amazing because representation matters. And she is going to, uh, st she will give a voice to so many and allow and show so many what is truly possible when you work hard and dream big, and that matters. And we should not, uh, we should celebrate that. Um, so, so Jen Psaki there says that since she's black and female and gay, that she's the spokesperson now for millions of Americans. I, I'm actually confused. How many actually, are there even a million Americans who are black, female, and gay? I don't know. But uh, maybe, I don't know. But it's kind of interesting that they introduce her as she's going to give a voice to all these um, black, gay, female, whatever. I don't, is, is that how the press secretary thing works? I thought if you were press secretary, like your job is to go out there and say what Joe Biden thinks about things. It's not what she thinks about things. It's what Joe Biden thinks about things, right? Isn't that the point of being the press secretary for the White House? You go out there and represent the president and, and his administration. You're not representing yourself. She wasn't hired on to go on TV and share her own opinion. I mean, she's not really supposed to be talking about her own opinion at all anymore. She's supposed to parrot an old white man's opinion, right? <laughs> Isn't, it's not what she thinks about things. She's supposed to go out and say what Joe Biden thinks about things. So anyway, that's, that's really all that President Biden has done. He's taken away a, a black female gay person's voice, and he's replaced it now with his own. Good job, President Biden. And this would be a really good point to pause for a message from our president. at the Biden Institute. 
So we call that using a point of personal privilege. Now, there have not been many senators from Delaware. It's a small state. As a matter of fact, there's never been one. Uh, and uh, so I want to take advantage of So I just want to point out there, because he said Delaware has only had like one or no, you know, kind of mumbled it there, that they haven't had any senators. Uh, I'll just point out here, uh, Delaware has had two senators, actually, every single year since 1787, back whenever Delaware became a state. I'll also point out that President Joe Biden was one of them for 36 years as Senator Joe Biden. So... I'm not the type of person who disrespects someone just because they're old, okay? That's not my scene. That's not what I'm here to do. But if you are so old that you can't even remember that you were a senator, you might be too old to be president as well. Just going to say. Um, not trying to be disrespectful here because I'm not disrespecting someone just because they're old. Actually, one of the ways I think I could respect someone who is in older age is by not expecting them to go out and try to run the country, which, as I said, is the second hardest job in America. Okay, let's talk about what's racist for this week. Everything is racist. So chasing car thieves is racist, all right? Um, and this comes from New Jersey. So a couple years ago, the, the Attorney General in New Jersey, they announced that in order to be not racist, they were going to stop letting the cops chase car thieves. That if a car thief gets in a car and drives off, the cop is no longer allowed to chase the car thief. He's not allowed to get in his cop car and chase after him. That would be racist. So that was a couple of years ago. Um, there's a headline this week out of New Jersey with a big spike in car thefts. Revised policy allows New Jersey police to chase auto thieves once again. <laughs> so they are going to go back to chasing car thieves because this apparently hasn't worked out for them. Okay. Did, did they, I, how are they going to deal with this racism? <laughs> how are they going to come to terms with how racist they are now since they're not just going to let people just drive off with cars? So chasing car thieves, now we've learned um, that's racist. But still, it's a bad idea to just let them drive off with the car. Okay. Um, and then according to a Missouri school, this kind of caught my eye because like I said, I'm from Missouri. And one Missouri school... Uh, so we have a great attorney general here in Missouri, uh, Steve Schmidt. I think that's his name. He's been doing a great job, though, cracking down on the CRT and some of the, the sexual indoctrination that schools are doing. And, he, and you know, he can only control what happens in Missouri, but he's been doing a great job keeping tabs on what the education system in Missouri is doing. They're trying to sneak in all kinds of weird sexual and racial, you know, modern progressive theories into school curriculums, even in things like, like math. I mean, he's had to... Well, like like Florida was having to do recently, throw out a bunch of math textbooks because they're putting math questions in about race. And it's just ridiculous. Here's what here's what we learned from one Missouri school that your family is racist. So this is what they had kids type in on the computer. They want you to report any racist members of your family. Okay? It said, Who in your family has racist beliefs? Do you think you can change their ways? What is your strategy for dealing with them? So, so the the school is sitting home, you know, paperwork with the students to fill in a box. What are what's who are people in your family with racist beliefs? You know, make, make you know <laughs> turn that in at the school. It's just it's just weird. Um, libs of TikTok, I think, is what shared this, and and we talked about them last time. That 
they're just pointing, they're shining a light on the stuff the Democrats are doing in the education system and all over the place. So thank you to them. And then one more thing that's racist. Elon Musk is racist. All right. Which we knew this was coming. But New York Times put out a hit piece on Elon Musk and also on Tucker Carlson. In the past week, they've done hit pieces on both of those guys. Just because um, Tucker Carlson is a Fox News host, so he is on the right. As I said last time, Elon Musk is not a conservative, but he has the perception of being one now because he's in favor of free speech. So we talked about all that last time. Um, Here's what the New York Times says about Elon Musk. Here's the headline. Real headline here. Elon Musk left to South Africa that was rife with misinformation and white privilege. So they're trying to say he's that he's racist, that he's a white supremacist because he grew up in South Africa. In case you didn't know, he did he did come from South Africa. He was a kid there. And he moved away. But the fact that he was there as a white man where there was a lot of white privilege, this has made him, I guess, racist by osmosis. The apartheid era created all-white enclaves littered with anti-black government propaganda and sheltered from the atrocities of apartheid. Then they tweeted out also, Elon Musk grew up in elite white communities in South Africa, detached from apartheid's atrocities and surrounded by anti-black propaganda. He sees his takeover of Twitter as a free speech win, but in his youth, he did not suffer the effects of misinformation. So Elon Musk is racist because he left South Africa where there was racism going on. That makes him racist. Here's the thing with CRT. Critical race theory, it's built on unfalsifiable premises. Okay, and here's what I mean by that. They say everything is proof of racism, no matter what you do. Because if if Elon Musk had stayed in South Africa, which they say is, you know, they're saying is such a racist, white supremacist country. So if he had stayed there, I guarantee you they would still be calling him racist. They say, oh, that's why he likes it there. That's proof that he's racist because he stayed in the country where it's racist. But if he leaves the country where it's racist, that's also proof that he's racist. This is what CRT does to people. It's an unfalsifiable premise, which this is what that means. It makes the left live in a bubble. They just decide what their narrative is, and then they use everything that happens as proof of that narrative, whether or not it's logical, whether or not it's true. They say everything just backs up whatever their narrative is. When Donald Trump hired Rex Tillerson, they were all these headlines. You know, this is proof that he's in a Russian conspiracy because he hired Rex Tillerson. So for whatever reason, they said this is proof of his Russian connections. And then like a year or two later, when Donald Trump fired Rex Tillerson, they said, oh, well, this is proof of his Russian connections. <laughs> you know, the, the same reason that, they, that he hired him, they turned around and said, this is why he fired him. When he hired Jeff Sessions, that was just proof of his white supremacy. But then whenever he fired Jeff Sessions, that was just proof of his white supremacy. No matter what Trump would do, it would just, they were they built it on unfalsifiable premises. That means no matter what happens, they find a way to twist it so that it backs up their presuppositions. And that's why they think everything is racist. So before I close down later, I'll, I'll just mention this here. Um, if you want to send us an email, if you want to get in touch, uh, it's fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. And if you see some fake news, send it our way. And whoever gets it to us first, we'll give you credit for it. 
If you want to stay in touch throughout the week, we're on Twitter at Fake News Weekly. So make sure you join in there. That's where I try to keep up with a lot of stuff. Best way to reach out to me there or just send an email either way. If you like Bible studies or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, I do have another podcast. It's called Cross References. And that one has nothing to do with news or current events. But I do consider it my main podcast. It has new episodes usually on Mondays. I should have one out this Monday. So go look up Cross References. It's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this one. You can also find my other one. And um, I don't think I will do a Beyond the Headlines segment this week. I'm I'm ready to go home. It's a, it's a Friday. It's about 6 o'clock. I'm ready to get out of here. So let me just let me just reflect for a minute on where we are. We're on episode 26 here of this podcast, and uh, we started this back in October. And so I thought, well, since I've got through 25 episodes, let's just um, do a reflection today, um, just real briefly here. So I came up with this podcast in about four hours. <laughs> I say that because basically I started another podcast. Also in October last year, the, the cross references podcast I was just talking about, and that was so that's a Bible study podcast, and I put a lot more work into that one, and I had been planning that one for literally about a year, um, especially for several months. I just kind of ramped up on the cross references podcast, and I kind of decided like I was going to lo- try to launch it towards the end of October last year, and and so that and that's basically what I ended up doing. Um, but I, at the end of September, I just kind of had this other thought occur to me. I just kind of thinking about, you know, I have kind of a news background. I have a communications degree. Um, I worked on various newspapers as a journalist when I was younger and I care deeply about what the news media does, the lies that it tells and helping people to sort through. Cause when I kind of look at the news, I can kind of tell when they're lying, when they're trying to obfuscate and, and hide from an issue. I can tell when they're trying to like slip stuff in, how they bury stuff. The most important information you need to know, they'll bury it deep down in the story. So anyway, I thought, well, I could probably do a podcast along those lines as well. So I I, um, I mentioned the idea to my wife. I was like, I'm not sure. I want to do a podcast about fake news and I want to call it a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. And so I mentioned that to her just like well, I was having like a, a, an early dinner or something. I was at my house. And I just mentioned that idea to my wife and she liked the subtitle idea there, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast because it calls back to one of the, the biggest fake news events of the past few years when CNN was trying to cover up the Black Lives Matter riots and they called them fiery but mostly peaceful protests. So I, I kind of took that. I, I even took that um, screenshot from that news report and I kind of made that my picture here. I just put my own picture in right there on the Chiron um, and I kind of made that my own thing on the the cover of the podcast here, where it says "fiery but mostly peaceful podcast." So I mentioned that to my wife; she kind of liked the idea. And then I had to take some teenagers from our church. I had to take them to a bonfire, and so we drove out there. And I got back home, and basically in three or four hours, I just kind of put together in my mind, like while I was driving the kids out there, I was just kind of thinking in my head, "This is what I'd like to do if I had a podcast like that." And I just kind of put the whole thing together, and. I think like within a few days, I just launched it. I hadn't even started my first podcast yet. Like the one I wanted to do first. I, I just launched into this one instead. And, um, and I didn't, when I first started the early episodes, I didn't even have a theme song worked out. Uh, but I just kind of knew what I wanted to do. And also it was great timing because the Let's Go Brandon thing was blowing up. And that was a great place to start. So um, I've enjoyed doing the podcast. My, my goal was to do like 
do a couple of um, current events type of episodes like this one. And then I would do a retrospective episode. I enjoyed the retrospective episodes a lot more, um, but they are also a lot more work. So I don't do them as often as I'd like to. Like, I'd really like to do one on presidential lying. Haven't got around to that yet, but that is coming one of these days. I really enjoyed the retrospectives. So I did retrospectives on the fact checkers. I did one on the, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. I did one about Jesse Smollett. I did one about um, the five fakest news stories of 2021. I did one about the Washington Post being a threat to our democracy. I did one about January 6th. And I did one about, this is my favorite episode, I think, 19 reasons why we can't trust the experts on COVID-19. And that episode is about two hours long. I probably should have broke it up, but it was episode 19 of the podcast. So I just wanted to get it all in there. So that was the most popular episode of the podcast so far. And um, I just wanted to create something. That's kind of what I want to do with with my episodes is create a resource. So when people say, you know, well, why didn't you want to wear a mask? Why didn't you believe Dr. Fauci on the science? Well, I wanted to make something that you could point people back to. And be like, oh, well, just look at, listen to this podcast. Here's two hours of why I didn't believe Dr. Anthony Fauci on anything. Um, (laughs) Who was at a party again this past week uh, without a mask being tended to by masked servants. And, uh, you know, but but see, I don't need to talk about Dr. Fauci and his lies every single week. Because I made that one, um, that one resource that people could go back to. And that's what I'm trying to create here is just a resource that people can point back to and be like, that's, that's really what I want to do with the retrospectives is to kind of resource people. And then when I do stuff like, like today, where I just talk about current events and I just hop on here and talk about something that's in the news. Um, you know, I hope those can be a resource to you as well. I hope that you can find, find value in something like today where we just went through some of the basic common arguments that try to defend abortion and, and poke holes in them and show how easy they are to tear down. These are the signs they go to with their protests and their arguments are as flimsy as the cardboard that they're writing on. But then we can also talk about a a simple argument in favor of being pro-life, that it's wrong to kill an innocent individual human being. You know, boom, right there. And if you can poke holes in that, email me. You know, we'll do back and forth on this. We'll talk about it. I'd be happy to, to dialogue about this if you disagree. You know, that's what I'm here for, too. So send us an email. Um, But anyway, I want to talk about the current events so that you can be equipped to discuss these things with your friends or to share the podcast with someone who agrees with you or disagrees with you. And hopefully I can make my case. And so um, some of the some of the episodes that I'm most proud of is that episode 19. Like I said, Um, I think the I think episode 21 and 23 were kind of strong Um, that one of them was about the Ukraine situation is called the fog of war. I talked about how to identify and discern propaganda in wartime. Um, is that something we've had to kind of keep an eye on episode 23, just recently pro-life evangelicals for mutilating children. That's a great one. If you want to show someone what the show is all about it, that's a very religious episode. Um, so it wouldn't make much of a difference to someone unless they were Christian, but that's a, I think that's a good one to share. Uh, and then, uh, Another hugely popular episode of the show, and when I just look at the downloads, um, the Jesse Smollett retrospective, that was episode 10. That was so much fun because that was a stressful week. The jury was deliberating for like three or four days. And I was kind of like, I hope by the time, you know, I do my podcast episode that week and I do my whole retrospective on the court case, I was like, I hope I have an answer 
like an outcome to report, you know, that I hope that as I do this retrospective about the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, that I can include how the tr- how the trial concluded. And right as I was about to publish the podcast, right as I was getting it done, the jury came out with their verdict and they found Kyle acquitted on all the charges. And uh, so I was able to just at the last minute jump back on and record an ending to that episode and give a happy ending to the Kyle Rittenhouse story. So I, I got that wrong. I said the Jesse Smollett. I said episode 10. That wasn't it. It was episode 7. That episode is called The Rotten Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. So I feel like that was out of my strongest episodes. It was, it was probably that one and some of the others I mentioned. So if you if you, if you you want to go back for greatest hits or if you want to share this this podcast with someone and, and they say, hey, why, why did you think Kyle Rittenhouse was innocent? I thought he was a white supremacist. You know, why didn't he shoot all those black people? Well, send them that episode. It'll set the record straight. And that's what I'm here to do. I want to set the record straight. And uh, I, I want to ask the right questions. And so I want to say, after 25 episodes, episode 26 here, thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor. And I'll remind you one more time. If you hear that Delaware has never had a senator, that's just fake news. Okay.